we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. The litmus test for knowing that you have received God's word is that it prompts you to act because God's word is active. God's word is active. God's word is active. So it quickens you to action. It's not just that you received the word and you were excited about it. It's the fact that when you received the word, it bore witness in your spirit by the spirit of God that prompted you to do something about it, to act on it. And so every time you receive the word of God is a call to action. The word of God is not, is not for to be received, to be relegated to the background, to be relegated to, to just information that you have come into, but that you by the word of God can do business with it and, and be able to prosper thereby. Hallelujah. The Christ Conscious Believer today is our sixth installment and we, we after running through everything, we, we started by saying that the Christ Conscious Believer is one who is what? Grateful for the cross. And we said think and thank. And then we said that the Christ Conscious Believer is also one who acknowledges or recognizes the twofold significance of the resurrection. And what was those two dimensions? Our justification as well as our eternal life, or eternal security. And then yesterday, we now started looking at the third dimension of, of, of the indicators of a Christ-conscious believer. And we said that the Christ-conscious believer is one who, what? Acknowledges, yeah? Gnosko, that he had and has and will have no part to play in the redemption plan. And then I took my time as is my custom. When I teach, I teach on a concept basis. You know how every time Jesus will, will speak to them in parables and then he will then take his disciples aside and unpack the parable for them. I teach with illustrative concepts so that once you're able to see, I've taught you, taught you over and over that everything in the physical is, a, is, a, is, a, is an outflow, is a symbolism, is an expression of a higher spiritual reality. So that by understanding the physical in terms of the spiritual, you can grasp the spiritual even more. And that's how I teach. I take my time and establish a concept so that you can understand the concept. Once you understand that natural concept, it becomes very easy to marry that with the spiritual truth and then the spiritual truth pops open in your life. I don't know if anybody finds that helpful, but that's the way that, that the Lord works with me. We establish a, a concept, you understand that, then we juxtapose that with the spiritual reality, the spiritual truth, and it just clicks in your head. And once it clicks, nothing can take that away from you because more than just words, it's become a picture that you can see. Joel the prophet in chapter two, I believe, says that I will stand upon my rampart and I will, will be watched to see what he will say. Isn't it interesting why, how he didn't say, I will watch to hear what he will say. He said, I will watch to see what he will say. The same principle applies when you're having conversations or when you're being taught something, when you're being instructed something. You know, after a while, when you grasp it, what do you say? You say, I see. Why haven't you ever said, I hear? Or even, I understand. Because until you are seeing what is said, you haven't grasped it. So the whole idea behind the way we teach is that we teach in such a way that you're able to see, you're able to visualize. And that's the whole thing with Christ, isn't it? Knowing Christ is seeing Christ. Yeah? Knowing Christ is seeing Christ. Seeing Christ is knowing Christ. It's all about your sight. After all, you are what? You see. <laughs> you see. When God was going to make mankind, he didn't mass produce mankind in the first instance. Right? He takes 
himself. He said, let us, let us now make man. He didn't say, let us make mankind. Let us make man. Let us make man. So he made man. Male and female created he them. And he made man perfect. When man is created in his image, it doesn't mean that man has, God has two eyes. And God has two nostrils and, and God has ten limbs, you know, so man looks like God. That's not the essence in which man looks like God. More than that, that man is created containing the communicable attributes of God. Man is created containing the communicable attributes of God. That is the attributes of God that he shares with man that he wants to call man into. So it's out of that man, prototypical man, that everything that runs off the factory line, the assembly line of humanity will arrive the way that the prototype arrived. Do you get it? So when man fell, as we said yesterday in Genesis 3, the prototype was corrupted. And because the prototype was corrupted, nobody needed to teach Cain what jealousy was. He didn't learn jealousy from his father. Nobody needed to teach Cain, how to murder somebody. Nobody needed to teach Cain. Do you understand? Cain did not have mortal combat. He did not have what you could blame and say, oh, he watched, he watched a crisis going on. He saw his father battering his mother. None of that stuff. But because the prototype was corrupted, as man began to multiply, sin began to multiply. And what did sin bring about? Death. So Cain is born. And Cain is packed full of sin. Abel is born, same thing. But because Adam, um, uh, Abel himself is a prototype or an anti-type pretty much because it's, it's, it's more, he's a type, but he's more an anti-type in the sense that, you know, um, God asks Cain, uh, the, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the earth. What was he crying for? Vengeance. And that's why Hebrews now says that we have come to the blood of a better covenant, the blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel because the blood of Abel was crying for vengeance, unlike the blood of Jesus, which is saying forgiveness. So in that sense, Abel becomes an anti-type of Christ. Does that make sense? Becomes an anti-type of Christ, even though he is a type of grace and Cain a type of works. In the sense that Cain tries to impress God with what he's good at, what, what, what he has done and what he thinks is the fact that I'm giving God the fruit of my labor, my heart and sweat should please God. So he brings works to God. And God is like, no, that's not it. You know, this is what I'm interested in. So you see types and then you see anti-types. But generally speaking, sin begins to cascade down everybody that is born. A few people here and there, you know, live good lives, but generally nobody was sanctified until, until us. That apart from us, they could not be made perfect. You have the likes of Enoch that walked with God and, and, and was not. And you have the likes of Seth, and I think it was Seth, in the days of Seth, was when the Bible says in Genesis 4, I believe that in the days of Seth, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So there were, there were bunches here and there, but generally everywhere that came, came flawed. Everywhere that came, came sinner. Once you were born, like we said yesterday, cute, teeny weeny baby bundle of sin waiting to explode. And I began to pick, almost cherry pick portions in Romans 5 to drive this point home, right? About the prototype so you understand that once Adam fell, we fell. You did not need to sin to be a sinner. 
You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. And what do sinners do? Sinners sin. It's not your sin that makes you a sinner. It is the fact that you are a sinner that makes you sin. And so I said yesterday that for a believer, therefore, it means that if you are caught up in a wrong, it's because you are ignorant or unconscious of the fact that that wrong has been removed from you. It's been removed from you. That's how you can suffer in your life. That when your story changes, you don't remember that it has changed. It's happened to me. I drove a car for over close to two years. I used to turn water in it. The day a new car was given to me, this old car had so died, I parked it in front of church. Can you imagine in, in, in England, in London, parked the car in front of church, the car had died already. They still smashed into the car in front of church, took the radio away, opened the side door, you know those inner door mats, removed it, and the other windows removed the glass and the winding mechanism and took it away. I had to use bean bag, you know, the thick bean bags to cover the windows in front of church. And you're in the music director in church. Everybody knows you as PAV. And you come to church, every time you come to church, the car is a reminder of your suffering. And then a new car comes. I have left the house, locked my door, came down, locked my front door, trekked to the bus stop, entered a bus to the train station, got to the train station, waited for my train, entered the train, going to church. When I remembered, wait, oh, I now have a car. I left the car at home. By the time I arrived at the train station for church, it was almost time for church. But in my anger that the devil can still be using something to cheat me that I already have, I went to the next opposite platform in the train station, took another train back to my own train station, came out, took a bus, back to my bus stop, ran home, went upstairs, took the car key, and then came in and drove to church. I got to church 30 minutes late, of course. So my pastor was not very happy with me. At the end of this service, I went to report myself to him. He said, sir, what? He said Victor, what happened? I said, sir, when you enter your office, I'll come and explain it to you. And I had to sit down and explain. When I explained to him, he was laughing. And telling me how a lot of times, and I realized, the enemy cheats us on stuff that is ours, but because we are not conscious of, we continue to do the contrary of what is ours. And that's the same problem with the believer. Not that, that the believer is, you cannot be a believer, you cannot be saved and be a sinner. You cannot be a sinner and be saved. The two are mutually incompatible. So that's the thing. Adam falls. Everybody that Adam gives birth to is a sinner. You do not have to do anything to sin. You arrived all the sinner that you can ever possibly be in your life. No matter how hard you tried to be righteous. We said this yesterday, right? No matter how many good things you did, you could not end up walking your way out of bad into good. You could not. You could not. You were always asking, Father, if it pleases you. Have you noticed that's the, that's the Old Testament language? If it pleases you. If I find favor in your sight. Have you noticed? Have you seen any such phrase in the New Testament? No, sir. 
if I find favor in your sight, if I please you, if, 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 if your, your face shines upon me, if you look at the light of your countenance upon me, please, you don't see that language in the new covenant. But in the old covenant, my God, you had to live your whole life on the begging side of God because there was no intermediary. There was no interface. There was no mediator. There was just sin. Sin as highlighted by the law. So sin was given, law was given that the sin might become, the Bible said, exceedingly sinful. That's what the law was given for. So when somebody says, ah, but the Bible says that the law um, is just and the law is holy and the law is good. And we'll come to that in a bit in Romans in Romans 7, and of course, um, Paul um, um, highlights that again in Galatians 3. But you see, in 7.13 in 7, 7, of Romans, Romans 7.13, you see that very quickly. Has then, put, put up the NLT. Let's go from 7, 7.7 7, 7 for context. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin, look at verse 8. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there was no law, Sin will not have that power. Are you following this at all? At one time, I lived without understanding the law, and therefore, it means I lived without the knowledge of sin. Because by the knowledge of sin is, by the knowledge of the law, is sin awoken, right? So at one time, I lived without the understanding of the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. Why? Oh, Holy Spirit, man, Holy Spirit, help me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy. <laughs> and its commands are holy and right and good. Are you seeing this? <laughs> Paul then answers your conundrum, your current confusion. <clears throat> Paul starts to address it in verse 13. He says, but how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. It has a lot up in that text. 13 says, New King James, that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what was good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what was good. What was good? The law. But it triggered 
sin. So when we say the law was good, how come the same law that was good is being referred to as the ministry of death by the same person that is saying the law is good? 2 Corinthians 3, right? How come the law is being referred to as ministry of condemnation when he says the law is good and just? Is the law perfect? Yes. Was the law given to perfect men? No. Was the law given to bring imperfect men to perfection? No. The law was given to highlight by its perfection, highlight the imperfection of the sinner. How is that highlighted? That's what he says, means when he says, sin that it might appear sin brought death. It highlights it in the sense that this is a standard God gives for you to keep. And God and the standard both know that you cannot keep it. The only person that does not know that he cannot keep that standard is you. So you wake up and try to keep the standard. Sooner or later, you realize that this standard is humanly unattainable, one. And two, if you manage to attain it, it does not have the inherent power to save you. Because that's all it was given for. But because this law is perfect, every time you try to measure up against it, it highlights your imperfection. And it highlights your imperfection, you now try again. You know, you know like, like a wrestling match. You now wait, you now like, yeah, man, I'm gonna take down this law. You now reboot. And you come again, like all those, all those co covenants used to make with God. Father, I make a covenant with you today. Father, if I sleep with that girl again, Father, as I'm trying to sleep with her, kill me. Father, kill me. Cause me to be paralyzed. Father, I'd rather die and go to heaven than to do this again. I've asked those of you in our local church physically, how many of you have made such vows? And then I lifted up my two hands, my two legs, and I opened my, all my teeth because I don't have enough body parts to say yes. And you, you, you cut a covenant. So you reboot, you're like, I'm going to do this again. I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready. Father, I'm going to pray one hour every day. I'm going to wake up. I'm if you made that pledge. I wake up at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. to pray. And then you wake up. First of all, you are angry with yourself that yourself woke you up. Who am I talking about? Nobody woke you up. You yourself woke up. And then you yourself get angry. Why did I wake up? Oh. Just pray. You wash your face. You open your eyes. You put your legs inside a bath of water. We have done all those things. After a while, you hear God in your ear telling you, my son, it's okay. Hmm? It's okay. You have not prayed there, but honestly, I've, I've answered. <laughs> go, go and sleep. It's okay. It's bad sleep. Every time you try to measure up to legalism, one, you will fail. Two, your failure is of a more colossal level than the previous attempt because all the law is there for is to show you how you cannot do this thing. 
But because you have energy, you keep trying and ramming your head against it. Like Jesus told Saul on the road to Damascus, you cannot kick against the prick. And someday what happens is eventually you die. By dying, you get to the point where you're like, I cannot do this thing again. And God goes, thank you very much. That's exactly where I've been wanting you to get to. The word translated good in the New Testament comes from the Hebrew word that means for something to be fit for purpose. So when the law is good, it means the law is fit for the purpose for which it was given. So when it accomplishes that which it was sent, the law was sent to make sin appear exceedingly sinful. Are you getting this? That sin might appear exceedingly sinful. Hallelujah. That sin might appear, I want to show you this scripture, this um, word, Romans 7 and verse 13. What that word means. Come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, that verse 13, Romans 7, 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin. The, the word appear is the word phaino. P-H-A-I-N-O. The word phaino. P-H-A-I-N-O. Phaino or phaino in the Greek. That's the word appear, for sin to appear to be sinful. And that word means to bring to light. To cause to manifest. To cause something to come to light. Yeah? So to illuminate, basically to illuminate something. That's the word fino. To strike, to become clear, to manifest. So that sin might be made manifest. Are you following? That sin might be so shown upon that it has, it has no hiding place. That's what the law was given for. So before the law, there was sin, Paul says, but sin could not be imputed in the absence of the law. In other words, until we sign an executive order saying, no mask, no movement, we cannot arrest you for not wearing a mask when you're moving because we cannot impute that to you as a crime. So in order for a crime to be imputed to you, it has to be legislated or else there's no law you have broken. And the word sin, Hamashiach, is to fall short of or to contravene, to go against something. And in order to establish that, we have to put what will convict you in place. And occasionally you would behave and not do it, praise God. But that's not really what the law is there for. The law is not there for you to not break it. The law is there to deal with you when you break it by determining and establishing what you broke. And so sin passed over to everybody. Everybody. And everybody's doomed without anything they do. Nothing you do in the law can please God. Hebrews says in chapter 11 and verse 6, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever must come to God must believe that he is. That's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So whatever you were doing outside faith, outside grace, is law, is works. And that's not, that's not pleasing to God. That's your participation. You understand that? That's you trying to do stuff by yourself. 
and a while ago, I can't remember what teaching it was now, but I spoke about Esau and Jacob. Remember I spoke about yeah. them as two covenants, as two types of grace and works, you know, and how there's a blessing in, in view. And he says, let's do this thing. And then Esau now goes and goes to go and hustle, you know, and goes and does it. Who, actually, who did the work in those two stories? Esau. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Who goes out to go and get the thing done? Esau. Esau. But what happened with Jacob? Jacob had a mediator. An interface between him and God. An interface between him and his father. And the interface knew the father. Ah, Jesus. Do you understand? His mother knew the father. Knew the will of the father. Knew the weakness of the father. Knew the vulnerabilities of the father. Knew exactly how to touch the father to get the will of the father into the life of whichever son that this one decides to stand for. So she says, Jacob, come, what is wrong with you? Come, come and let me interface this blessing for you. So who does the work? If Isaac was going to punish somebody, for instance, for having deceived him, who, you think you'll punish Jacob? No. Jacob will go, look at my intermediary. Look at the cross. Look at the blood. What's my own? I didn't do anything. The cross did it. I just got the benefit thereof. And Mr. Walks is so upset and so angry because this thing is not of works. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something to be attained by works. It was something to be plugged into by grace. It wasn't something to be fought for and, 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 and apprehended. It was something to be grafted into by grace. It's not works. So we are in trouble because everybody in the world is a sinner. Even the good guys, even the very nice guys. So when Jesus says there is not one righteous, no, not one, this is what he meant. Are you following me? That doesn't mean that's your reality now. So you must say, oh, now we are all sinners saved by grace. Have you heard how foolish that statement sounds? We are all sinners saved by grace. If you are saved by grace, how can you have, we are all sinners, saved by grace in the same sentence, successfully? We are sinners, and we are saved by grace, and we are sinners. I would have understood if you had said we were once sinners, because that's what the Bible says. It says once you were alienated, now he has brought you near. But we are all sinners. You are speaking like you are a saint. There's nobody is a saint. That's the religious devil speaking. It's a religious devil speaking, an an uninformed apologetic for a gospel they know nothing about. I write to all of you called saints. Go and check your Bible. See the to be there. You see that the to be is in italics. In your New King James Bible, any word you see in italics does not exist in the original language. But in order for it to flow as English, the translators in English now added it. That's how it is. Those of you in Corinth called saints, there's no to be in the original language. And that's why I said yesterday, like some of you will just carry King James. And just read King James. And as far as you're concerned, when you're reading King James, you are hearing the mind of the Lord because it's sounding serious. What with? Dear unto, nonetheless, wherefore had he? You know, that sounds like how God would talk if God is talking to somebody. You know what I mean? King James. It sounds like, oh, 
and you almost honor and glorify King James. King Jimmy is the voice of the Lord. There is therefore now, for whereunto. Some of you don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> Just speaking it. We are called saints. Why are we called saints? It goes back to the same issue that I've spent the past two days talking about. Prototype. How does God fix the problem? I told you that he's, he didn't wipe the world again. He just wiped the world again. So he says, I'm going to send another Adam. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, I'm loving this. The time just flies. I don't know where the time goes, but 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 21. 21. That's where I'm going. For since by man came death, because sin led to death, right? Yeah. The proliferation of sin, the promulgation of sin brought about death. But since by man, 21, 21 came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. This man here is a capital M man. Yeah. Referring to Jesus, the son of man. For since by man, Adam, prototype, came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. See verse 22, it begins to come together now very nicely and sweetly. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. <laughs> this verse alone here, <laughs> the loadedness of this verse. For as in Adam, because in Adam there was no exception, all died. Maliko supala andi suprigidaha. Even so, in Christ, sir, all. There's the only way, hey, Jesus Christ, can these people handle this? Malakasa, the only way there can be an exception to the all in Christ that can be made alive is if there was an exception to those in Adam that died. But it is sacrosanct. It says, in Adam, how many died? All. Even so, in Christ, how many shall be made alive? All. <laughs> I'm trying to deceive myself. I'm telling you, the kind of worms I can open here and go into, I, will, I can teach this alone. Oh, 23, Sha. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power that includes of the devil, that includes of Hades, that includes of death, and that includes of hell. So he's going to put it to an end. That's why we've told you, your famous hell is not forever. Your famous Hades, your famous eternal damnation and torment and weeping is not forever. 
If you have plans to go there, continue. That's not the subject of my message today. But he puts an end, the Bible says, to all rule and all authority and all power. That's why in Revelation 20, you see, seen Hades and death and Satan were cast into or folded into the lake of fire. And when, what happened to the lake of fire? It passes away with the old heaven and the old earth. It cannot be said to have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ if hellfire is still burning somewhere. That's not what I'm talking about today. 26. The last enemy that will be put, that will be destroyed is death. For he says he has put all things under his feet. And so we see that clearly. For all, as in Adam, all die in the same way. In Christ, all will be made alive. Somebody say all. 45. Let's skip to 45 for, for time's sake. 45. And so it is written, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, referring to Christ, became a life-given spirit. See 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. In other words, in the natural nature of things, it wasn't Christ that came first in the flesh. It was Adam that came first. The first man was of the earth, 47 says, made of dust. You see that? The second man is the Lord from heaven. 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. 48 in the NLT. Earthly people are like the earthly man and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Let's go back to Romans 5 and let me start to bring this home. Romans chapter 5 from verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. We have taken time to establish that. And death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men. Because all sinned. How did all sinned? Because one man sinned. And through one man, sin entered the world. So the sinning of all it's not referring to the actions of all. Does that make sense? Being referred to as sin. But as the consequence, the imputed consequence or the imputed reality of one man's sin. So the sin of the world, the sins of the world, all the nonsense in the world are a direct consequence of one man's sin. And who was that man? Adam. In the bodies of Adam, Ish, and Eve, Isha, male man, female man. Every offspring they give birth to and their offspring and offspring after them, original sin. So because it's original sin, all sinned. Does that make sense? That's why if somebody in your house, was in your compound was caught for fraud and the person runs home, what happens to you if you're wise? All of you leave the compound. Because you know when the police comes 
they will sweep the compound clean first. Because you are guilty until proven innocent. You take a bit, a few slaps, you take some buttonfuls, you will take because he that is the company of a of a fraudster is a fraudster. That's that's the way it is. So you first of all excuse yourself until you hear that the person they're looking for has been found. Because anybody that is found in his place will be taken along with him. So one man sins, everybody's guilty of it because everybody by association is a sinner. Does that make sense? Okay. Let us continue. And death through sin because all sinned. For the law until the, for until the law, 13, I've explained this already. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Please, I want to see how the message puts verse 13. Romans 5, 13. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So the law, as Eugene Patterson translated, was the spelling out of the disturbances of humankind to Moses. So thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, was actually God telling Moses, see what they're doing, see what they're doing, see what they're doing. <laughs> Let's see how the, let me see if I can pull up the, the, the TPT. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it wasn't charged against them where no law existed. Does that make sense? I've, I've taken time to explain this, right? So the law comes to highlight that this thing you did was wrong. It, is, it has to be wrong against something that said it is wrong. So where that thing that says that wrong is wrong did not exist, wrong cannot be said to be wrong. Do you understand that? Okay, so on that basis, let's go on. 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death, the consequence of sin, people paid the price from Adam until the law was given, even though the law was absent. Does that make sense? Even over those who had not sinned over the according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. I'll read that in the, in the TPT, verse 14. Yet, death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. Do you get it? Yet, death reigned from Adam when the first man fell until the law was given, even though it cannot be said to be sin outside the law, but the consequence for sin had been following men from Adam till the law. Why? Because Adam sinned even though the people that had been dying for sin were not necessarily those that had disobeyed the way that Adam disobeyed. Are we following? Yeah. Put up for 14 in the message. Let's see if there's a, an English that's better than Pav's English. 14, even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. Is that clear enough for you to understand? Let's read the verse again. Because it's important that you get this. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. Why? Because it was imputed to them from Adam. Do you understand? 
See the next line in the message of this verse 14. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one, capital O, who will get us out of it. The TPT says in verse 14, the first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Verse 15, Romans 5, 15. I need to start to round this up. Oh, Jesus. But the free gift is not like the offense. Let me stay with the TPT while you keep NLT on screen and I have New King James in my Bible. Now, there is no comparison. There is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. But there's a great difference between Adam's, and, and I'm on NLT now, between Adam's sin, go on, Adam's, no, no, go back again, verse, four, verse, verse 15. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. What is good for the goose is good for the gander. If it is right here, it has to, of a necessity, principally be right here. That's why I've taken time to establish prototype. So when I start making very, very heavy statements as I close, you start to look at me funny and say, Pav, how dare you say those kind of heretical, blasphemous statements? That's why I've taken my time to lay down the principles or prototype for you to understand from scripture. And so far, nobody can dis disagree. Is that, is that correct? Because we have taken time from the word, right? To come through text after text that establishes that sin in the world is an exclusive product of one man's disobedience. And nothing those people did good could change their status from sinner to saint. Please bear this in mind though. Because I'm about to start saying stuff that at this point some of you might either be, be freed into the liberty for which Christ set you free or you will switch off the data and go and tell everybody that there's a heretic and antichrist online. Which I don't really bother about. It's like I told you yesterday, anybody that's not going to tell you the truth about Christ, what does the Bible say should do to them? Cut them off. Follow this carefully. Keep your eyes open. Shine your eyes. Take 15 again in the NLT. I know I'm taking my time. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many. Keep going. Next verse, 16. <laughs> 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. Adam's sin led to condemnation for everybody, right? But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Man's one brought condemnation for everybody. Because it means as we are born, we are born into condemnation. Yes, sir. One man's gift of righteousness brought what? Life 
brought acceptance for everybody. Go on to the next part of verse 17. Walk with me. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through the one man, Jesus Christ. So far, okay, let's, let's finish. Let's finish the text. Keep going. NLT, Romans 5, 18 now. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. I mean, this thing is very clear, right? Switch to King James. King James, everybody, you know, King Jimmy. Not even new King James. Go to King Jimmy. Verse 18. Because some people only trust King James in this world. King James, KJV. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men condemnation. The righteousness of one, the free, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Start verse 18 again. For as by one man's offense, or by the offense of one judgment, came upon all men condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So all men were sinners and all men are justified. It's not all men are sinners because they believed they are sinners. All men were sinners because Adam sinned and everybody born of him was born a sinner. And so on this side, because of what Jesus did, anybody who is born again, do you understand it now? That's why you have to be born again. Because to enter this new Adam, you have to be born into him. You have to be born into him. Hence, you're born again. And who borns you again? God. How? By his word. 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, hmm? but of incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. How were you born again? Incorruptible seed. Hmm? What is incorruptible seed? Word of God. Let's corroborate it with other scriptures. Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower. Luke chapter 8 from verse 4, very quickly. Who bonds you again? <laughs> God. How does he get you born again? Through his word. What is his word? Incorruptible seed, right? But we only saw it in 1 Peter 1.23. So let's look at Luke chapter 8 from verse 4 to 11. And when a great multitude had gathered, this is how he had, he had told them, you know how he would tell them the parables and then when everybody goes, he would not tell his disciples the meaning of the parables. So Luke 8, they, they came to him from every city and he spoke by a parable, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trampled down very quickly and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture and some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop of hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. 
We're going to, and then his disciples asked him saying, what does this parable mean? 10. And he said to you, his disciples, yeah, not to the crowd, has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is given in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. See verse 11. Now, the parable is this. He starts to explain the parable. And there's the first line in that verse I want to show you. The, this is Jesus speaking. He says, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Born again by what? Incorruptible seed as by the word of God. Jesus himself said, the seed is the word of God. John chapter one, verse one. Answers, who is the word of God? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning. He, the word, he, the word, he, the word, he. The word is a he. The word is not it. The word is he. Stop right here. Go back to, go to 1 John. 1 John 1, 1. Same writer. 1 John 1, we'll come back to John 1, 2 in a bit. But go to 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning... Can you see it? 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes. Yeah? yeah? Which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the what? Word of life. Go on to verse 2. The life, that word of life, life was manifested and we have seen and we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we also declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. Go back to John 1, 2. Is this, is this coming together for somebody? So we know who the word is. Yes, sir. We have seen him. These guys were saying we have seen him. He was in the beginning with God, with God. John 1, 2, verse 3. All things were made through him and without him was nothing made. Verse 4. In him, the word was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Skip to verse 14. I think it's verse 14. Skip to verse 14. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. How does the NLT put that? John 1 14, while I'm trying to load up the TPT. The word became flesh. So the word became human, NLT says, and made his home among us. How does the message put that? The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> TPT says, and so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we beheld his glory, New King James says, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And who is this? Jesus. So when 1 Peter 1.23 says, you have been born again through incorruptible seed. You've been born again through who? You've been born again through who? Through Christ, because he is the word. He is the seed. He is the son. He is God. He is life. Romans 5.5-8. Romans 5.5-8. So far, have you seen any part that has your participation? Have you seen any? Romans 5. Let's go from 6. For when we were still without strength, can you see that? 
For when we were still without strength. For when we were still without strength. How does the NNT put this? For when we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless without strength, Christ came just at the right time for us sinners. While we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates, verse 8, his love, his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. When? Even when we were what? Dead in trespasses. So you see why we say that somebody who is a sinner, an unbeliever, cannot give their life to Christ because they have no life to give. Or you have to give him your life. You have no life to give. You're dead. Because all one man sinned, through that one man, sin entered the world, and therefore all sinned, and therefore all died. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Oh, praise the Lord for the gift of salvation. See verse 8 and 9 of Ephesians. A scripture we all know. For by grace, somebody say by grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Let me read it in the TPT, beautifully put. For it was, Ephesians 2, 8 in the Passion Translation. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. NLT says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. Tell yourself or your neighbor, you can't take credit for this. You can't. The TPT says clearly, explicitly, nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. That's why I said that if you participated in your salvation, you're not saved. You're not saved. You're still trying to get to the point where you're fully dead. You're not saved. Nine in the TPT. Put the NLT up on screen as well. Verse 9 says, So no one will be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. <laughs> NLT says, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. That's your Bible TPT says, so no one will be able to be able to boast, for salvation is never, in other words, not just it is not, never in the sense that at no point in the salvation value chain 
will it ever become a function of what you do? Do you understand? So never is an emphatic negative. Mark the tenses. It's just not that it's not. It, it, is, it can never be. It has never been. It never is. It will never be anything to do with what you did. Why? Because it is by the gift of the obedience of one man. Now I'm going to say something to those of you that doubt the eternal security of the believer and believe that the believer must act nicely in order to make it on the last day. A person did not sin. A person did not do anything bad. They were simply born. Are you following me now? They were simply born and because they were born from that lineage, they were born a sinner. Nothing they ever did right could correct their lineage or make them righteous. Are we together? Somebody now comes and is born again into the lineage of the second Adam whose only obedience is what counts. If the obedience of man under the first Adam did not count for righteousness, the disobedience of a believer under the obedience of Jesus cannot count for guilt. Yes, sir. If somebody did something wrong and everybody that he gave birth to was wrong, regardless of what right they did, if somebody did something right and gives birth to someone that is right, they cannot be wrong regardless of what wrong they do. If you cannot accept this saying as true and worthy of acceptance, you are a hypocrite. Yes, sir. You are a hypocrite. You are the kind of people that are, you are either praying for light to flood your eyes or the kind of people that John says in chapter 1 and verse 2 of that we should avoid. Because what you're believing is not the truth about Christ. The truth about Christ is that the value chain is the same. He came after the order of the first Adam. First Adam came, messed up everybody that was born, messed up, regardless of whatever good they did, because we have made it clear now salvation is never a reward for good works. Nothing, nothing, nothing good you could have ever done. In the same vein, Christ comes. You see why I said he wiped the earth? And that's why I've said over and over and over that God does not have a sin problem with the world. God does not have a sin problem. Behold the Lamb of God, John 1, 21, that, that 29, that takes away the sins of the church. No, there was no church when he died. Takes away the sins of the world. God does not have a sin problem. Your sin is too small to take you away from God. Yes, sir. Your sin is too small to cost you eternity. Your sin is too small to make you and devil co-tenants in a hot fire. Yes, sir. Paul makes clear in Romans 5, the free gift is greater than the magnitude of the sin. We have amplified sin for too long, people. We have preached sin for too long. Why do we need you to preach to us to make sin more exceedingly sinful? When that was the job of the law. That was the job of the law. That's what the law did. The law just came to show you what sin is, to shine light on sin. So therefore, in this day and age, anybody 
anybody, doesn't matter what your spiritual appellation is, that is preaching a message or a gospel that champions, amplifies, or showcases sin is an adherent and an advocate of the law that has been done away with in Christ. Such people, mark them, avoid them. Avoid them. That's the gospel, people. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul begins to tell them in Galatians 1. Hey, I marvel that you're turning away so quickly. From verse 5. From this gospel to another. Go to chapter 3 and verse 1. Galatians 3 and verse 1. He starts and says, Oh foolish Galatians, put it up on the screen. Who has bewitched you? See what it says in your beloved King James. Go to King James. KJV. King James. King Jimmy. 3 and verse 1 of Galatians. I'm trying to find a place to close. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. King James. King James. Here verse 2. Verse 2. This only will I learn of you. So I want to find out of you. Received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you seeing King James? Before you say a message that, that, that changed it and made it say what it's not saying. Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And what is he referring to as the flesh? The law. For have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and walketh miracles among you, doeth he eat by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He goes on to say, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So if you are saying Abraham's blessings, you cannot say Abraham's blessings are mine. It's Abraham's blessing is mine because Christ is the blessing of Abraham. It's not of works. You never participated in it. That's the gospel Abraham heard. And the scripture was it for seeing that God will justify the heathen through what? Through faith. How are the heathen justified? Through faith. And the scripture preached that gospel to Abraham. It is what Jesus did. Full stop. You cannot at this point now, it will be malicious and mischievous for you to think that you have something to do in your born again experience if you agree you have nothing to do in your initial birth experience. If you did not participate in your original birth, you could not have participated in your new birth. If nothing good you did could count for you as good in your original birth, listen to me. I'm going to say it with my eyes wide open. Nothing bad you do can make you count against you as a son in the new birth. For God was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. Reconciling men to himself, 18 and 19. Not imputing again their trespasses to them. God was in Christ. Verse 19. Reconciling the world, oh, the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And has given us the word 
of reconciliation. There is therefore now no condemnation. It goes on in chapter 8 of Romans and verse 1. To them who are in Christ Jesus. My sins are forgiven. And it's not because I confess them. My sins are forgiven. And it's not because I repented of them. How do you have the power to repent to be forgiven? When he died for you, when you were yet a sinner. You were dead in trespasses, Ephesians 2, 5. You were dead while you were yet a sinner. Romans 5, 5, 6, 7, and 8. How can an unbeliever repent? Repent means to have a change of mind. By what power? By what spirit can you have a change of mind? So that God is waiting for you. But if God is waiting, if you can repent to receive Jesus, you don't need Jesus. If you can change your mind, if you can, you know, if you can become good in order to collect Jesus, then you don't need Jesus because why, why is Jesus coming into your life? It's not to make you good. Yes, if you can become good to receive him, you don't need him. He enters the dark places. He enters the dead places. He navigates the mess of your life and he breathes the spirit of life upon the inside. The same way creation started is the same way new creation started. There was, in the beginning, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of the Lord hovered over the surface of the waters and God said in him was light and that light was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. What was the first thing God said in Genesis 1 verse 3? Let there be what? Light. Creation started by light in darkness. And the darkness in Genesis 1 did not intimidate God when he was going to build creation. The darkness in an unbeliever does not intimidate God. But it is God that causes the light to shine upon us. That said, shine that light and we behold it in the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And he comes in darkness and darkness does not intimidate him. And in the midst of the darkness, he shined and the darkness do not understand till today what hit it. The light shined in darkness and darkness comprehendeth it not. It has shown in our hearts to give the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We are saved. There's nothing you did. To be Christ conscious is to acknowledge that you had no part to play. If you are still claiming that you had a part to play, even the minutest of parts to play in the salvation plan, you are not yet fully conscious of what Christ did. And then you make a mockery of what Christ did and you make a mockery of the, type, the prototype that is Adam. You make a mockery of Christ. You make a mockery of his work. You make a mockery of the cross. But he didn't need your, he didn't need your participation while we were yet sinners. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. We lift up a standard against every voice of dissension. We lift up, a, lift up a standard against every voice of opposition, against the truth of the gospel, against the truth of Christ. And we really, over the airwaves now, we command, we decree that the truth of God's redemption plan permeate the nations of the world, permeate the nations of the world, permeate the hearts of men, that the hearts of men receive illumination, the hearts of men receive revelation, the hearts of men receive knowledge, the hearts of men receive rumination, the hearts of men are quickened to receive to be conscious and aware of and therefore to respond to all that God has done for us in Christ without needing our participation he didn't need your participation one man fell everybody the man gave birth to fell 
One man came and rose and stood and obeyed and became righteous. That one man fulfilled the law because he is the fulfillment of the law. It was because he was taken to the temple on the eighth day that you don't have to be taken to the temple on the eighth day. Do you not understand? He was not showing you a pattern. He was fulfilling the law, giving the law what the law demanded of a man that only that man could fulfill. He didn't come. So we are taking the baby to dedicate because Jesus was taken to the temple to dedicate. No, we are baptizing in water because Jesus baptized in water to fulfill all righteousness. Can you hear yourself? What did he do that? To fulfill all righteousness. That means the righteousness required as per water baptism has been fulfilled. To fulfill, to bring to pass, to complete, to give the thing what it demands. That's why Romans says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He has fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. He didn't set it aside. He came and said, I am everything the law demands of a human being. I am going to meet it. And once I fulfill it, it cannot be held against them. They cannot be said to be breaking a law that I as mankind have fulfilled. That I as mankind have fulfilled. Just as they cannot be said to have been righteous when I as mankind fell. Are you following me? Adam as mankind fell. Nobody could have been said to be righteous. Christ as mankind is righteous. Nobody in Christ can be said to be a sinner. Nobody in Christ can be said to be lost. Nobody. Jesus made that clear over and over and over. You have no part to play in preserving yourself. His body did not see decay. Remember he said that? He will not let his Holy One see decay. Why? As a testimony to you that you too, your body, your soul cannot see decay. You cannot be lost. You have no part to play in it. What you're doing is yielding yourself because you are born again. The question is, are you born again? Have you heard the gospel? Yes. Have you heard the full particulars of the gospel? Have you responded to the gospel by believing the gospel? You have. You heard about Jesus. He stirred up because as you're hearing about Jesus, the Jesus energy by his spirit is being translated into you. That's what causes you to believe. Because Galatians said, did you receive it by the works of the law or by what? Or by the hearing of faith. Because faith comes how? By hearing. So when Ephesians 2 says in verse 8, by grace are you saved through faith. How is that faith transmitted to you? By hearing. Hearing what? The word of life. So at the point you are hearing the gospel, the gospel is transmitting the faith you require to receive it. And the moment you receive that transmission of faith and say, I believe, you're born again. It's simple. It's simple. And you start to grow in it. You had no part to play. Salvation, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. I like how, verse 9, I like how the NLT put it. Let's end with that. Ah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let's end with that. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us. None of us. Nothing we did, TPT, could earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will be able to boast, ah, actually TPT says, no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never a reward 
for good works or human striving. Salvation. So you see that the alien gospel is the one that is trying to attach something to you to do. To justify or maintain or preserve your salvation. That's the, that's the gospel of rogues. That's the rogue gospel. That's the gospel which Paul says is not another. And he explains that. Salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. This is a good time to begin to give God praise for salvation. You can never hear this enough. This is a good time to begin to give God praise. Switch on that microphone out there. Lama siko zidaha. Lamba, the Christ-conscious believer, understands he had no part to play in the salvation plan. He will never have a part to play in the salvation plan. That's a good time to give God praise, a good thing to give God praise for. Lumbratis colinda mande kiso cruda bahanish. Lays grubade gende sukuza brande ligadis to sukatila branda aosa. Lenge zuba de brando koso si pratica liando zoture gididis. Embagaladas. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Give him thanks from the bottom of your heart. Understand, man, if you, if you are conscious, if you are conscious, if you are conscious, it will come alive in your heart. If you are conscious, it will come alive in your heart. If you are conscious, it will come alive in your heart. It will come alive in your heart that, man, nothing I could have done to earn this. Nothing I could have done to sustain this. Nothing I could have done to receive this. Nothing I could have participated in. And this is entirely a God transaction. Entirely a God transaction. Entirely a God transaction. It was a transaction by God with God, unto God, for God, through God. It was entirely a God transaction. It had nothing to do with me. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Entirely a God transaction. Nothing, nothing I could have done. Nothing I could have done. Nothing I could have done. And so that's why I'm confident of my salvation because I didn't participate in it. The quality of the product is determined by the quality of the ingredients. This is a God transaction. It's a God transaction. It's a God transaction. God is the one that facilitated it. God is the material for it. God is the sacrifice for it. God is the priest for it. God is the recipient for it. God is the originator of it. God is the creator of it. God is the recipient of it. I am just the beneficiary. Had nothing to do with me wherever you are right now. If you're in fellowships across houses, if you're in home churches, lift up your voice and just thank Him until your spirit becomes conscious of the fact that salvation is a free gift of God. Wherever you are, don't be ashamed. Open your mouth, open your mouth, open your mouth. You can't be ashamed of this gospel. You can't be ashamed of this gospel. You can't be ashamed of this gospel. It's good news. Celebrate the gospel, celebrate the salvation you have for free. Nothing to do with you. 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 Develop consciousness about this. 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 I am not a participator in my salvation. I am not a participator in my salvation. 
I am not, I'm a recipient, I'm a beneficiary. I'm not a participator in my salvation. I am not, a, I'm just a recipient. I'm just a beneficiary. I'm not an investor in my salvation franchise. I'm just enjoying it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 It's not your participation. You are a son. If you believed, if you ever believed once, you are a son of God forever. Forever. Sanctified forever. Redeemed forever. Forgiven forever. Justified forever. Made righteous forever. Perfected forever. If you believed, if you dared to believe once, you cannot even unbelieve. He keeps you. He sustains you. It's nothing to do with your participation. Nothing. We didn't participate in our sin. We didn't choose our sin. It was imputed to us. And then we were born again. Our righteousness, we didn't work for it. It was imputed to us. And because it is imputed, it cannot be corrupted. Listen to me. The righteousness that Jesus gave you, nothing that you do outside you can corrupt it. Because if it can be corrupted, Christ can be corrupted. Just as if it can be justified, the first Adam can be justified. If you can backdate it, then you can backdate justification to the first Adam. But no, if you can be corrupted, Christ can be corrupted. And Christ cannot be corrupted. Why? Because he is called the incorruptible seed. Incorruptible seed. He preserves his seed. He, 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 he preserves it. So we thank you, Father, for this precious gift of salvation. Totally a God transaction. Totally. We celebrate you for it tonight. Hallelujah. 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 We've said that the test for receiving God's word is that it prompts you to act. Act on this in your life. When your mind comes playing games, speak this to your mind. Open your, you have to learn to open your mouth. Mm -hmm. This game is a game of confession. You have to learn to open your mouth and speak to your mind. Open your mouth, speak to your neighbor. Open your mouth, speak to your friend. Ah, you like this, a saint. Yes, me like this, a saint. You like this, righteous. Me like this, righteous. You did something stupid yesterday. The stupid thing is reminding you you did something stupid. Your friend is telling you you did something stupid. Your mind is telling you you did something stupid. That's when you open your mouth and inform the stupid thing that the free gift of God is greater. Yes. And enforce your right standing with God. And one day you wake up and realize you don't know what it means to do wrong. One day you wake up and realize you don't know what it means to sin. One day you wake up and realize the vices that you have gotten caught up in. The vices have dropped off not because of condemnation but because of illumination. By virtue of the eyes of your understanding popping open. You realize there are some things I can no longer do. Not because they jeopardize my, my salvation, but because the, my salvation calls me into a higher level of living. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. 
My salvation calls me to a higher level of living, a superior level of living. So I, I, I've, you just wake up and realize I, I, I've gone above those tendencies. I've gone above masturbation. I've gone above drunkenness. I've gone above gambling. I've gone above malice. I've grown above it because I'm coming into the consciousness of who I am in God through Christ. I cannot be doing sin because I'm not a sinner. In me, there is no sin. The day it clicks in your head, the day it clicks in your head, that's the day your struggle ceases. It's not, it's not what a pastor can tell you. It's not what a, a constitution of a church can teach you. It's illumination. Yes. That's why we keep teaching you this thing over and over. The difference between where you want to be and where you are now is a light that has not come into your life yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just a life. Once a light comes into your life, that's it. We'll continue next time on Modern Life with this series. And I'll be showing you how the Christ-conscious believer is mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.